Reading today is found in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen. Thank you, May. That is one of my favorite texts in all of the Bible. It pretty well is pretty definite, isn't it, that God has a plan for us, that he has good things in store for us. It's pretty definite. But I'm a questioner. I always have been. My mother insists that for the first five years of my life, my favorite word was, why? And probably second to that was, um, but what if? And uh, sometimes, I wonder what? And little has changed in the ensuing years, unfortunately. It's not, it's not really that I doubt. I'm, I'm not a cynic. I'm just really curious. I'm constantly trying to learn, and, and I want answers. I'm looking for answers to new things and new questions, and my mind just wanders off on these tan- tangents and asks these random questions. And though the Bible gives us the answers to all the big questions in life, it also raises myriad little small questions for my inquiring mind. For instance, I always wondered, did Eve ever eat any more fruit? I wonder how Noah slept during thunderstorms. Did Balaam's donkey ever talk again, that whole Mr. Ed thing working? I don't know. And if Zacchaeus was so tiny and short, how in the world did he get up in that giant tree in the first place? But that's just how my mind works. The Bible is a fence full of knotholes through which we can sort of peek but not see the whole picture. To me, it's kind of a scrapbook of snapshots of people encountering God but not really recording the result. But in my mind... There are two people in the Bible who had more reasons to ask questions and beg for answers than anyone else. One in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. But both of their names were Joseph. Now, I know the holiday season is over, okay? Christmas is behind us. The trees and ornaments are all packed away and we're all trying to recover from our post-holiday exhaustion. So this is not a Christmas sermon. Despite the fact that we will talk a lot about Joseph, this is not a Christmas sermon. Because to me, absolutely nothing stirs so many questions in my mind as the birth of Christ. Characters appear and disappear before we can ask them anything, before we know what happened. The innkeeper, too busy to welcome God, did he ever learn who he turned away? The shepherds, I wonder if they ever found themselves humming that song that the angels sang that night. And Joseph, oh Joseph, I have so many questions for Joseph. How did you ever explain to your friends that your wife or your fiancé was pregnant and the baby was not yours? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was actually asleep under your own roof? Did you and Jesus ever arm wrestle? Did he ever let you win? What ever happened to the wise men? 
actually, Joseph, whatever happened to you? Don't you find it odd that we don't really know what happened to Joseph? His role in Act 1 is so critical and crucial that we expect to see him throughout the rest of the story with Mary, but with the exception of a short scene with 12-year-old Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem, he never reappears. The rest of his life is left to speculation, and we're left with our questions. Of all of my questions for Joseph, the first would be about Bethlehem. I would love to know about that night in the stable. I can picture Joseph there, moonlit pastures, stars twinkling above, Bethlehem in the distance, and there he is, pacing outside the stable. What was Joseph doing while Jesus was being born? What was on his mind while Mary was giving birth? He had done everything he could do, right? He'd prepared a place and made Mary as comfortable as she could be in a barn. And then in keeping with Jewish tradition, he most likely stepped outside. Mary probably asked to be alone. And I can't help but thinking Joseph never felt more alone. In that eternity between his exit and Jesus' arrival, what was he thinking? I think he must have walked out into the night and looked into the stars. Did he pray? For some reason, I don't see Joseph silent. I see him animated, pacing, head shaking one minute, fist shaking the next. This is not what he had in mind. I wonder if maybe he said to God something like this. God, this is not the way I planned it. Seriously. Not at all. My child being born in a stable, a cave with sheep and donkeys and hays and hay and straw. I mean, I pictured being surrounded by family, friends, doting grandmothers, relatives, neighbors slapping me on the back, laughter, congratulations. This just is not right. What kind of husband am I? No midwife, no bed. Mary's pillow is the blanket from my donkey. The smell is bad. The animals are loud. I even smell bad myself. Did I miss something? Did I do something wrong, God? Did I? Forgive me for asking. Seriously, is this your plan? Is this how God enters the world? Mary's story about the coming of the angel and the whole thing, I've accepted, okay? I love her, God. I have to believe her. The questions that people ask about the pregnancy, I can tolerate. This long, arduous trip to Bethlehem, but a stable God, really? Any minute now, my wife will give birth, not to a child, but to the Messiah. That's what the angel said. That's what Mary believes, and God... My God, that's what I want to believe. But surely you can understand it's not easy. It seems so bizarre. I'm not used to strangeness, God. Remember, I'm a carpenter. I make things fit. I measure twice and cut once. Surprises are not the friend of the builder. I like to know the plan. <laughs> then I guess I need to remember I'm not the builder this time, am I? This is your project, not mine. Forgive my questions, Lord. It's just that trust does not come easy to me. But then you never promised it would be easy, did you? 
I wondered, did Joseph ever pray such a prayer? Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But you probably have. I know I have. You have stood where Joseph stood, caught between what God has promised you and what really is. You've done what he told you to do, only to wonder if it was really him speaking to you in the first place. You've stared into a sky blackened with doubt, and you've asked what Joseph asked. You've asked if you're still on the right road. You've asked if you were supposed to turn left back there when you turned right. And you've asked, is there a plan behind all this? What do I do now, God? I'm so lost. Things were not supposed to turn out like this. Each of us knows what it's like to search the night for light. Maybe not outside a stable, but perhaps outside a hospital room or on the manicured grass of a cemetery. We've asked our questions. We've questioned God's plan, and we've wondered why he does what he does. If you're asking what Joseph asked this morning, can I urge you to do what Joseph did? Trust. That's all he did. He trusted God. He trusted when the angel called. He trusted when God sent. And then he obeyed. He was obedient when the sky was bright. And he was obedient when the sky was dark. He did not let his confusion or his questions disrupt his obedience or his trust. He didn't know everything. But he did what he knew. He shut down his business, packed up his family, and went to another country. Why? Because that's what God asked him to do. And he trusted God's plan. What about you? What about me? Just like Joseph, we cannot see the whole picture. Just like Joseph, our task is to see that Jesus is brought into our part of the world. And just like Joseph, we have a choice. To trust or question. To obey or disobey. And because Joseph obeyed, God used him to change the world. But the Bible doesn't stop there, does it? So look at Philippians 4. Is that on the screen? Yes. Beginning with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, let me get this right. Not only are we supposed to trust God has a plan for our lives, and obey whatever it is that he asks us to do, we are also asked to rejoice while we're doing it, always, not just on paydays or Fridays or good hair days or birthdays, but rejoice in the Lord always. Trust me, you are not the first to read that word always and arch an eyebrow. The cancer patient in room 403 mumbles, yeah, rejoice in everything, right. But how, asks the unemployed dad, or always, questions the mother of a baby born with a disability. It is one thing to trust, obey, and even rejoice in the Lord when life is good. But when the odds are against you, when you feel alone and abandoned and you don't know where to turn, 
the other Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, knew this challenge. He had done nothing wrong. He was a boy, but he was carted off to Egypt and raffled off like a farm animal. The great-grandson of Abraham was sold to the highest bidder. Even so, he landed on his feet, didn't he? He worked his way to the top of Potiphar's household, but then the mistress of the house got a little over-flirty, and Joseph ran and left her holding his coat. Bad plan. And when she accused him of rape, a crime he, he would never, her husband took her side and threw Joseph into prison. But still, he didn't give up. He believed God had a plan for his life. He became a model prisoner. He made his bed, made friends, and made a good impression on the warden. He got named inmate of the month and convict in charge. But despite all that, Joseph languished in prison for two long years. Two years. That would be plenty of time for me to give up. Plenty of time for the world to turn gray. Plenty of time to wonder, is this how God treats his children? Is this God's reward for good behavior? Do your best and this is what you get, a cell and a hard bed? Again, if Joseph asks these questions, we don't really know. But if you ask these questions, you're not alone. You may not be in jail. You may be in a hospital bed or in the unemployment line or at your son's drug rehab center. And you wonder, I believe in God. I have obeyed him to the best of my ability my entire life. Does he know what's happening to me? Does he know my heart is breaking? Does he care? Here is where our faith comes in. Deism says no. God created the universe and then completely abandoned it. Atheism says no. There is no God. There is no divine plan. But Christianity, on the other hand, says, yes, there is a God. And yes, this God is personally and powerfully involved in his creation, in you and in me. So the next question, if God's in charge, why was Joseph in prison? Why did I lose the love of my life way too young? Why is my daughter on drugs? Why does God permit these horrible things to happen? Wouldn't an almighty, all-loving God prevent them? Maybe not, if they serve a higher purpose. And the promise in Ephesians 1 is crucial here. Paul tells us in verses 10 and 11 of the Message Bible that it is in Christ that we find out who we are. And what we are living for, our higher purpose. Long before we ever heard of Jesus, God has had his eye on us and had plans for a glorious life for us. We are privileged to be part of the overall plan. He is working in everything and everyone. You remember the rest of Joseph's story. With God's help, he interpreted dreams and went from prison to palace. Pharaoh promoted, Pharaoh promoted him to prime minister. And Joseph successfully navigated the crisis and saved just, not just the Egyptians from starvation, but also the entire family and descendants of Jacob from who, whom Jesus descended. Oh, wait, okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Really, those young men were incredibly courageous. They did exactly 
exactly what God asked them to do. They stood up for what they believed. And don't you think while they were standing there, they were going, dear God, please do not let them throw us into the fire. With terror in their hearts, they had to pray that what possible good could come from throwing three teenage boys into a blazing fire. But what happened? God let them be thrown in there anyway. But he went into the fire with them. They were not alone. And because they obeyed, because they trusted God had a plan, the king and hundreds of others were converted, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have gone down in history in one of the greatest Bible stories of all time. But I digress there for a minute, and neither goes my mind again. Back to Old Testament Joseph. Years later, he would tell his brothers in Genesis 50, 19, and 20, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. His purpose was to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There are two words at the heart of this passage that make all the difference. Let me read this part of it again. You intended to harm me, but God. What was intended as harm became good. Why? Because Joseph allowed God to be in the middle of his circumstances. Joseph viewed the sufferings of his life through the lens of divine providence. Can we do that? <laughs> That's hard. But if we don't, questions like mine and anxiety will stalk us every day of our lives. Quite honestly, I have no words to comfort an atheist or an agnostic or a deist. What alleviates their fear? Yoga? Deep breathing exercises? Stress relief candles? I mean, to me, that's kind of like going to a joust with a toothpick, isn't it? God's sovereignty, however allows us to fight the onslaught of questions and fear with a sword that is etched with the words, but God. My company is downsizing. They're laying off left and right, but God is still in control. The cancer is back, but God still occupies the throne. I lost my son in a useless foreign war. But God lost his son, too. I'm sorry this morning for the pain that life has given you and the questions that cloud your mind. I have them, too. I'm sorry your parents neglected you. I'm sorry if your teacher ignored you. I'm sorry if some jerk said I do on your wedding day and said I don't every day after that. I'm sorry if you ended up in Egypt. But if the story of Joseph teaches us anything, it is this. We have a choice. We can wear our hurt, or we can wear our hope. We can cave in to the pandemonium and confusion of this life, or we can lean in to the perfect plan of God. A few years ago, I took a trip to Europe. My grandmother used to tat lace. In fact, I brought one of her little doilies with me this morning. She did beautiful work. So I'd always wanted to see the famous lace shops in Brussels where they make the world's finest lace. But I was amazed to see the tiny little rooms dedicated to the spinning of the most intricate and expensive patterns. 
These rooms are completely dark, save for one shaft of natural light from a solitary window. Only one spinner sits in the room. The light falls upon the pattern while the worker remains completely in the dark. Has God permitted a time of darkness in your world? You look right now, but you can't see him. You see only the fabric of your circumstances, woven, tangled, knotted, and interlaced. You might question the purpose behind this thread or that, but be assured, God has a pattern. He has a plan. You may be in the dark, but he's not finished. And when he is, the lace of your life will be beautiful. In closing, I want to share just a short story from one of my favorite authors. In one of his books, Henri Noé tells the story of a lesson of trust that he learned from a family of trapeze artists. He visited with them for a short time after watching them fly through the air with precision and poise, and when he asked one of the flyers the secret to being a great trapeze artist, the acrobat gave this reply. I'll read you in his own words. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, my catcher, I have to simply stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's job to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrists, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. In this great trapeze act of life, God is our catcher, and we are the flyers. We trust period. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can or should do. We rely solely upon God's ability to catch us. And as we do, a wonderful thing happens. We fly. Our Father has never dropped anyone. He will not drop you. His grip is sturdy and his hands are open. Place yourself entirely in his care. This morning, I believe that God is looking for a few more Josephs. Common people who serve an uncommon God. Will you be that kind of person? Will I? Will we trust and obey and rejoice even when we don't understand. The uninspired Murphy version of John 16.33 tells us, I have told you these things today so that your questions will be answered and you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But don't worry. Don't be frightened. Don't question. Just trust me. I have overcome the world. No, the Bethlehem sky or an Egyptian jail are not the first to hear the pleadings of a questioning, honest, aching heart, nor the last. And perhaps God never answered all of either Joseph's questions. 
but he answered the most important one. Do you care about me? Are you still with me, God? And through the first cries of the Godchild came the answer, Yes, Joseph, I'm with you. There are many questions about the Bible and about life that we will never know or never be able to answer until we get home. My mind will continue to go off on tangents, and many times we will still muse, I wonder. But in our wonderings, there is one question we never need to ask. Does God care? Does he still love his children? Does he really have a plan for my life? He answered those questions 2,000 years ago on a cross. And he continues to answer them today. Yes, my child, you matter to me. More than you can imagine. I hurt when you hurt. Yes, my child, I have a plan for you. A specific plan for you and your life. And yes, I am with you. Right here right now and always.